Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I have two things. And they're kind of related in the movie sense. The first is to talk about Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox. And the second is to talk about Star Wars. So if you don't want to have Star Wars spoiled, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe you still want to digest it before you listen to me ramble on about it, I may throw some spoilers out there, so just hold off and listening to it if that's the case. You've been warned. I may say something that may throw you off, so if you want to watch it first or rewatch it first or something before you hear me ramble on about it, by all means, hold off on this podcast. I'll wait. Okay, now that we've gotten rid of the people who haven't seen Star Wars or don't want it spoiled for whatever reason, let's go move on with the podcast. First off, I wanted to talk about 20th Century Fox and the fact that Disney acquired them. Now, this was a really interesting and somewhat surprising thing that Disney did. I don't think most media experts saw this coming. Disney is now essentially a media giant. Uh, Not that they weren't before, but now they're an even bigger giant. So 20th Century Fox was owned by uh, Rupert Murdoch, and he decided to sell off the entirety of the portfolio. And Disney did not want to acquire the sports network, owing to the fact that they already own ESPN. They didn't want to acquire the television stations that Fox owns and operates because that would be a conflict of interest since they already own ABC. And they uh, had no interest in getting into the news game, so they didn't buy Fox News. So all three of those things, plus a few other little entities like the Fox Business Channel and some other things like that, will go under a separate umbrella and be owned by the shareholders for now until they figure out what they're going to do with them. So that's kind of separated. But all the other stuff, so it includes the 20th Century Fox production studios, it includes the uh, movie distribution, it includes all of the movie inventory that they have, and a number of other things that 20th Century Fox owned, plus the stake in Hulu that 20th Century Fox had. So now Disney has much more control of a lot of media that's out there, which is really interesting. Now Disney gets the benefit of They talked about having their own streaming service to take on Netflix, and they were going to post all of their Disney movies in that streaming service, which is fine and great and good, but doesn't address the larger inventory of movies that are out there. By controlling 20th Century Fox, they now have the right to move all of that media into their content provider, whatever it's going to be, and it would be theirs. And they can, you know, license other things to other other streaming services like, say, Netflix, or they can license other things from other streaming services to come to theirs. So they are a direct threat to Netflix at this point because they have a large movie inventory. So kind of an interesting little twist there that Disney now has some control over the media space that they didn't have control over before. There's also some other interesting things that came out of this. The first one was, and I wasn't aware of this, 20th Century Fox had an unusual arrangement with George Lucas regarding Star Wars A New Hope, what is now known as Episode Four. That first episode that George Lucas created 
was partially owned by 20th Century Fox. So when Disney acquired the Star Wars franchise, they technically didn't acquire Episode Four, which is really weird. But the whole thing about production companies and movie studios and distribution rights and who owns what is very convoluted and complicated. I can't parse through it myself. I kind of generally understand it, and I'll take you through as much of it as I know. But it's a really complicated thing that happens there because of the way the uh, ownership works. But 20th Century Fox owned that particular Star Wars movie. So now Disney owns all of the Star Wars franchise. That was the only piece they didn't own was the distribution of that particular film. So in all likelihood, Disney will now be able to produce a volume set of all of the movies. And perhaps, for those of us who are Star Wars purists, could go back and find the original uncut 1977 version of Star Wars that was released to the theaters that's never been seen again. The only version that George Lucas has ever released again was the version that's edited and has the special effects in it, the special edition, as he calls it. The original uncut version was a movie masterpiece and actually belongs in the Film Hall of Fame, but there is no copy of it in the Film Hall of Fame because George Lucas never, never provided it, which is kind of a strange thing. So perhaps it'll become publicly available now, which would be an awesome thing for those of us who are purists about the movie. Disney also acquired the production company that produces Modern Family. That's a huge hit success show on ABC that Disney owns. Now they own the production company that produces the show, which means they make more money on it as well. So that's a win for them. They also bought the Aliens franchise because that was all 20th Century Fox. And they've also managed to procure all of the rights to Avatar, which is a 20th Century Fox production. Now again, convoluted and complicated because... James Cameron actually owns some portion of it as well, but Disney now owns the rights to it. So having Pandora, the world of Avatar, makes a little more sense because now it's a Disney property. It's not something that someone else owns. I always wondered about that because it was something that Disney didn't own, so why would they create a land around that? But now they own it, so there's really no risk of something happening or them losing it or the, uh, the agreement ending and you know them having to figure out how to change the property. They may change it anyway organically, but they don't have to remove it because of the licensing, which is a really kind of a funny thing. So this is the second time Disney has gotten into a deal with a movie studio. When they opened the what's now Disney's Hollywood Studios, it was originally known as Disney's MGM Studios. And the reason they did it that way was so that they could create some movies and bring movie properties into it and make it sort of a real working movie studio with some production going on with MGM, some of Disney's own production, and having a cadre of movies that they would have at their disposal. They have to license them, but through the agreements they had, it would be easier to do so. So there was a lot of interesting things that happened, but then once that ran its course, that was the end of that, and we never heard from Disney looking at another movie company again. And then they went out and they bought 20th Century Fox. So I find this really interesting that they've made this change and they become this media giant now, and uh, they're going to do so many different things. I wonder where it'll all lead for them. And I also wonder if this relates back to some of the changes in Disney's Hollywood studios. Because, you know, you've got the Star Wars land, you've got the Toy Story land, you've got this other amalgamation of different things that Disney owns. I wonder if they're going to make it somehow some branded movie-themed park or something uh, and then make it fit in that way. So we'll see. It didn't really fit as just a Hollywood studios, but I wonder if it's going to be something else that'll better fit with the thematic things that they have in mind. Interesting. I found the whole thing just really fascinating and a little surprising, and I'm kind of interested to see what happens with Disney and what they do with all this property that they bought. Because now they have so much ability to distribute in a broader sense and to own a lot more production uh, of movies. 
you know, the other part of it is, you know, Netflix, Showtime, HBO, all of these other smaller players are now funding movies and making movies themselves directly for their streaming services. Have to wonder if Disney's going to try and leverage this to try and make some smaller scale productions in addition to their big budget productions that then would go directly to streaming. So they have some streaming content that would be available that's a Disney branded streaming content or a 20th Century Fox branded streaming content. But, you know, so like you hear something that's a Netflix original. What if it's a 20th Century Fox or Disney original and they do something that's a little bit different? Disney could keep its brand in the, in the family section where they keep things kind of PG, maybe a little bit under PG. Uh, and, you know, they could take 20th Century Fox to produce content that's a little more risque and a little bit out there. You look at some of the other things that are happening around the landscape of media, and you see a lot more production companies directly streaming to consumers. CBS All Access took a big risk by creating Discovery, the Star Trek series, and uh, charging a premium for people to come in and get the CBS All Access and be able to get to it. It's a fascinating show, and I think they got a win with it. So really kind of interesting because I think it moves the needle in a different direction where more streaming content is going to be what it's all about. And perhaps, given net neutrality and how certain companies will have more say in what gets streamed and what's quick and what's not, perhaps Disney will have more leverage and more muscle in, in an ability to be able to stream their content and get it into viewers' hands. So we'll see. And I'm sure they'll come up with a price point that works. You know, Netflix is whatever, seven, eight bucks a month. I'm sure Disney will be in a comparable scale and will find a way to make it work. And given that ESPN is going to less and less cable outlets because people are starting to cut the cord more and go more to streaming. Disney has figured out how to distribute ESPN and some ESPN content directly to consumers through their uh, devices and their smart TVs rather than going through the cable. So, you know, you can see that this could be potentially you could have a package that would be beneficial. Disney could package up ESPN and their movie streaming to one package, or maybe they keep the Disney movie separate, Fox separate, and they create a package that would be all three things. Who knows? You know, I'm sure the bean counters have figured out a way to make this work and be profitable, but we'll see where it all nets out. I'm just kind of interested because it was a surprise announcement. And then second, I wanted to talk about the Star Wars movie, the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, Episode 8. And uh, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. I went in with expectations that it was going to be enjoyable and I'd probably walk out of there going, yeah, it was pretty good. And pretty much it met my expectations. I heard people before I went to see it saying, yeah, it was a 10 out of 10. It was an awesome film. It was probably the best Star Wars film. And I have to disagree slightly. It was a really good film. I would rate it maybe a 7 or 8 out of 10, probably an 8 out of 10. And I really enjoyed the storyline and where they went with it. I think it was intriguing, kind of the way they developed some characters and did some things. But as my older son had told me when episode seven came out, they've changed the nature of Star Wars and it isn't Star Wars anymore. It is, but it's not because they've come up with some different direction on some of the characters and some of the things that they do. And it's a little troubling because it's just different, right? It's not that it's bad. It's just different from what you know we think of as you know people who are older like me who think of as canon and remember Star Wars coming to the theaters and the Empire Strikes Back and so forth. You know, you saw those and you kind of felt a certain way about them. And this has a different feel to it. And that's not to say it's bad. It's just different. And it was, it was really entertaining and most enjoyable. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, wow, it, it, it dragged a few times along the way. But they really told a nice sweeping story and they went back and forth between different story points and talked about different things. A couple of scenes I especially loved. When Ray handed Luke the lightsaber and they finished that scene, Luke chucks it over his shoulder. 
That was just so awesome and walks away. I mean, you can't ask for more than that. That was just such a great scene. You know, Luke's a crotchety old man and he doesn't want to train Ray. You know, Luke made a mistake at some point in his life. So, you know, there was this whole thing going on there about how, how that felt and you know, sort of that, the way that played out. And it, it felt kind of like it was weak because that's not who Luke would have been, I wouldn't think. But I guess, you know, we put our, you know, even our movie heroes on pedestals and, you know, the fact that he made a mistake, okay, that's the way it goes in life, right? So he made a mistake and uh, he let Kylo grow and whatever. You know, that was interesting. And um, he didn't want to train Rey and he, was, he finally wound up starting to train her. I thought that was kind of funny. The fact that Yoda makes an appearance was great. Yoda had a great line about the books. You know, mm, page turners, they are not. What a great line. Just just so funny talking about the uh, old Jedi uh, text. And then you had um, you had the whole scene, sequence with uh, Luke training Rey and talking about how it was uh, the Force is not about just lifting rocks, which is especially funny since... That was one of the key things that came out in the, uh, in the Star Wars movies, uh, especially in episode uh, five when he's being trained by Yoda and he's lifting rocks. So it's kind of funny that they would, they would use it that way. And in fact, there were two somewhat popular songs that talked about it that way. When Yoda showed up with Luke and started to, to talk to him, all I could think of was the uh, Seagull Stop It Now song. And I'll play that for you right here because it's so funny. It, it made me laugh. It made me think out loud. It made me kind of chuckle out loud when I saw Yoda come on the screen because that's all I could think of. Penny for your thoughts. I hate Brenda and a bad guy hit me in the shin and I peed all in my pants. <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. Wiener. Let me grab my Peter. 
man, quit that banging. Hey, what's that stank? You put a fish in our basket. Sort of pitchy. Oh, didn't like it. Listen, man, I'm not your friend. Mm, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. So anyway, you go you go forward in the story a little bit, and um, when uh, Kylo and uh, Ray finally have the big reveal about who Ray's family is, and you know, it's exactly what you might have thought it was going to be if you were really listening to the storyline and listening to what the actors told you you always knew. They were just, you know, lousy people who abandoned their daughter in exchange for, you know, for uh, booze money. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was kind of a throwaway thing when you realize that, but it was because it was a big build up to reveal nothing. But Kylo's character handled it perfectly when he said, you see, they were inconsequential to the story. I thought that was just terrific because it kind of fit into the whole theme of things. And he was poking fun at the audiences for, for paying attention to it because it really had nothing to do with anything. But what a nice little piece that they added in there to kind of fill it out for us. They never gave us any more of Snoke's background. We never knew who he was before he got killed. And the way he got killed was yeah, marginally comical. Um, you know, the fact that uh, he's supposed to be this superpower and he can control everything, yet he doesn't realize that uh, Kylo is turning on the lightsaber that's sitting next to him. Come on. You know, kind of silly and throwaway that way. You know, the resistance gets beat down to almost nothing. And you kind of look at it and you go, yeah, this is kind of kind of sad that there's no resistance left. There's nothing left of them anymore. They're just, you know, now they're just a ragtag fleet of, you know, like 50 people. And uh, that's kind of sad in a way. Um, I guess that's what happens, you know, when you fight, you know, fight many fronts on a war against uh, two different uh, groups, you know, because you had the Empire first and then you had the, uh, the First Order. So you're fighting against both of them at different times and, you know, you only have, you know, you only have so much energy and whatever, so many resources. So eventually you get beat down, um, you know, but you kind of look at that and you kind of have that twinge of sadness when you think about it. You go, wow, that's that's what happened there. And, uh, you know, you get to the end and Ray uh, opens up the rocks to let everybody through. And sure enough, it is about the rocks. Another little comical relief moment there when she says it's about the rocks. Um, cute little thing they did. So we've had Han die, we had Luke give himself up to, uh, to the afterlife, and we know that Carrie Fisher passed away, so she won't appear in Episode 9 either. So now all three of the main characters that appeared in Episode 4, and then 5, 6, and 7, 
are all gone. So in episode nine, it's all about the new guys. I suppose Luke will probably make an appearance as a force ghost to uh, help out with Rey in some way in her learning and becoming a defeating Kylo at the end, because I'm assuming that's what's going to happen at the end. But to build to that's kind of interesting. And I thought there was a nice little subplot there with the, uh, the, you know, you're seeing kids on different planets and you're realizing that they're all uh, influenced by the Metachlorians too. You know, you think about the Jedi Temple back in episode three with Attack of the Clones and you realize that there was all these different um, kids who were, you know, in the Jedi training program because they were identified as having, having been strong with the Force. And now you're seeing some kids around the galaxy who are strong with the Force, who could grow into something and, you know, become their own version of heroes. So kind of interesting the way they, they played that in there. I thought that was a nice little touch to remind you that the Force is still strong in the universe. Now, it's uh, kind of funny. You know, I thought uh, Luke Skywalker a couple of times had some funny lines, you know, things like uh, saying that, no, everything you just said was wrong. And I thought that was kind of clever because he used that a couple of times to his advantage. I thought the, you know, the, the concept was good. I thought it played out well. Um, not sure where they're going to go with the storyline now and, you know, how they're going to play it out. I mean, obviously it looks like, you know, Kylo will, will rise to power and, you know, it's going to be up to Rey to defeat him, though I suppose she'll have some help along the way. Um, though they could write a twist and have it go differently, I suppose. Things could be different. You know, I went out there feeling pretty good about the storyline. I thought they did a nice job of putting everything together and kind of tying it all back together. Adding Benicio Del Toro as a two-faced, uh, safe-cracker, wise-cracking kind of guy was kind of fun because it made it more interesting. I was kind of hoping he would turn back around and do the Han Solo thing and just become, you know, the anti-hero again. But uh, instead, they left him as the, as the uh, guy who just left with the money, and, you know, that was the end of that. But I guess, you know, there are villains like that in the universe too, right? So that's, that's part of it too. But kind of clever, well thought out. Um, the fact that they brought back Captain Phasma was kind of annoying. Uh, you know, they put her in the trash compactor and look, she's back, yay. And kills her again. Is she going to come back in the next episode again? You know, kind of that, that moment of just, uh. It's some of these scenes where they have these long, drawn-out moments of, oh yeah, we're going to kill them, we're going to kill them, we're going to kill them. Yeah, okay, let's kill them now. Oh, just in time, there's a bombing that stops that. You know, come on. That kind of stuff, you know, it's movie magic, right? And uh, you kind of look at it and you go, all right, that's funny. But it was, it was good. Um, very entertaining stuff. Uh, really enjoyed seeing Yoda again. Uh, like the fact that they brought Luke back around to something interesting at the end when he became this, uh, the hero again and uh, figured out how to, how to do things. Because before that, it was sort of that moment of, you know, is he, are they gonna, how are they going to turn him? What's he going to do when they're in the final battle there on the salt planet? You're wondering, how is it going to work out? Is he, is he going to do anything that's going to that's turn the battle? And sure enough, he did. So just kind of, kind of clever. Um, you know, you wonder, wonder where the story is going to go next. Uh, oh, something I was talking with my son about as we left. So J.J. Abrams has been put in charge of the franchise. He produced the first movie and the second movie, and presumably he's going to produce the third. But he only directed the first one. So now comes the next movie, uh, this one, and it was directed by someone else. And the next one's going to be directed by someone else. And Rogue One was directed by a different person. And the reason is... You know, the, the nature of Star Wars stays the same. You have the story arc that fits in about good versus evil and all of these things that happened. The first three films, episodes four, five, and six that were produced, George Lucas did a nice job of relying on other people to help him with the direction. When he went back and did one, two, and three, he kept it very close to the vest and, and produced it and directed it himself. And the actors had all said it felt a little stiff because he was kind of trying to direct them a very specific way to do certain things because he had a vision for how they should look. By going and changing the directors 
for all of these other films and even the other uh, pieces that'll come up, you know, the, the, uh, if there's an Obi-Wan one, the Han Solo one, the Boba Fett one, if they do any other um, spin-off stories, they'll all be directed by different people. So that way the story universe stays the same, but the arc changes a little bit and the feeling in the movie changes a little bit and gives you the, that director's point of view on Star Wars which makes it a little more compelling in some ways. I think if J.J. Abrams had directed this one, it would have felt different. And I think that's part of what I'm seeing in here is that it just felt different to me, that it didn't quite feel the same way to me as the other films uh, worked, as the last film worked. So, and I think that was by, by design, and I think that's part of the thing over time as I you know, digest this movie more, I think that's one of the things I'm going to actually wind up liking about it is that it was different, that it had a different tone to it, that it felt different. You know, I'll wait a few weeks and I'll probably see it again and then we'll see what I think about it then because that's what happened the first time. I was like, I saw the first movie, episode seven, and I went, yeah, okay. And then I saw it again I was like, oh, right. And then on and on and on. So I think that's what's going to happen here. Same kind of a thing where I'll just start to understand it and appreciate it differently because the direction on it is a little bit different and it feels like a different film. So that's, that's the way I see it. I think that was an interesting choice by Disney and by J.J. Abrams to change the directors. So there you go. That's my take on Star Wars. I totally enjoyed it. Want to see it again? Um, I'll wait a couple of weeks and just pick it up again and, and enjoy it once more. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my podcast for this week. I rambled on a little bit about Star Wars, talked a lot about a lot of little things. I hope you didn't find that too off-putting. I hope you enjoyed it. See what I think about the film. And uh, we'll be back again soon to talk about more things in the Disney space. But for now, remember, if you can dream it, you can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.